Good morning, fortune tellers, and welcome to the Fortune Teller Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan, and we're here to talk about how crypto, DeFi, protocols, and everything we love in Web3 goes mainstream. Today, I'm super excited to be joined by Mason Burkhalter, who is the head of operations at API3. API3 is building the Web3 API economy where developers and entrepreneurs can create trustless applications that interact with the web APIs of today. This is a huge problem that they're solving where APIs are really the underpinning of how the networking infrastructure works in today's information age or the Web2 age. To decentralize that layer will mean that we all collectively in the Web3 world will be able to trust and verify where these APIs are coming from without having to depend on any centralized source. Mason, really excited to have you on the podcast today. If you could, we'd love to learn more about your backstory and what you were working on before you got into the crypto space. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I was a accountant, a senior portfolio accountant at BMW Financial Services, which was their banking arm. Um, it's kind of what they used to do all sorts of financing, both um, with just regular consumers and then also like retail customers and stuff like that. And uh, during that time, it was uh, 2017, kind of at the height of the uh, the big first kind of commercial bull run. We were looking into an accelerator to incorporate blockchain technology. And through that, you know, I, I ended up meeting... Uh, a startup that were basically doing like identity management, you know, through that entire experience, uh, I, I kind of was like the liaison between BMW and the rest of, uh, you know, this project. I learned a lot about, you know, the industry, um, BMW didn't really de- decide to kind of adopt what this project was trying to do, but, um, you know, it, it actually kind of opened my eyes to a lot of the challenges I think that people in this space um, really are faced with, with getting adoption from like the outside world in general. So fast forward a few years, I graduated with my MBA from Ohio State University and uh, got back in touch with a friend of mine who uh, was starting to get really into uh, blockchain and developing in, in uh, the space you know, trading in DeFi and all those things. So he and I started a, a startup where we basically were trying to kind of sell the idea of industrial grade Bitcoin mining, leveraging wasted energy. And we didn't really get much buy-in, but we all, we did get a bunch of exposure into the industry. And so uh, just through some networking and stuff like that, I ended up, you know, meeting the founders of API3 and uh, started off as a business development uh, lead there and kind of moved into operations. And that's where I'm at now. While you were at BMW and the bull run was was going on, what from the financing world, what caught your eye with Web3? Why did it look so interesting that you were willing to jump into this novel new space? You know, I think um, it, it was really just kind of the dichotomy of everyone assuming that it, the only thing that it is is kind of just fake money. Um, but, you know, you're seeing this like rapid rise in, in you know, the prices of, of Bitcoin and Ethereum. Um, and then, you know, I, I met this uh, startup and, you know, there are a bunch of 
Stanford grads. They're really sharp guys, but, and they had like, you know, this, this ideology that was kind of infectious, but in the financial world, there was a lot of pushback in general, but I mean, you know, that's the financial world for you, right? So there's a lot of skepticism whenever new technology comes out, especially uh, in an ancient, you know, uh, industry like the financial sector. So it's stagnant. And I think we're starting to see the incumbents of today peep into blockchain. They're trying to figure out where can they leverage it in either their tech stack, financial tech stack, um, NFT stack, whatever that will look like in the future. So the doors are opening. And I completely agree that in those early conversations, it was much harder to have a sound picture of where the industry was going to go. So people were kind of guessing at the time what the problems were and how the world in Web3 and the metaverse would look. Now, coming from this financial background that you had, when did APIs come about? What got you interested in, in the world of infrastructure? Because APIs are so core to the back end of networking. Yeah, well, I mean, I think I was just kind of in the right place at the right time, to be honest. So um, API 3... Uh, kind of hit the ground running November 2020. And that was right around the time that my business partner and I were kind of running into dead ends with our own venture. And um, so, you know, he was shopping around for a place to work full time in the industry. He ended up going and working with a, a major market maker, but he kind of networked me into an introduction with uh, one of the founders at API3. And, uh, of course, you know, having that introduction, I did a, a deep dive and researched what they were all about. And uh, I think in general, it's just kind of a common sense thing when you look at, like, the longevity of something and whether or not it's, like, a good idea to get involved if it's got a good sound economic moat and is, like, infrastructure-based, right? Like, if it's something where everyone really has the potential to need to use this service or product or solution, that's something that I get excited about because it means that there's a lot of work to do and there's a lot of growth to be had. And so I was already really excited just by getting networked in. And then, um, you know, it's actually not until having been in the industry uh, full time for a little over a year now that I started to really realize like how fortunate I am to be working at API 3. Um, you know, because the more you interact with different projects and, and things like that, the more you realize that there's, um, there's definitely a smaller amount of extremely serious players and a lot of people who just want to be in the industry, but don't necessarily have, you know, as good of an economic moat as I think API3 does as a project. Well, let, let's talk about APIs. So before we get into decentralization and token economics, what are APIs, if you were going to consolidate it for the listeners? Yeah, so APIs are kind of like glue, right? They, they literally are how all applications communicate to each other, both internally and externally. Um, and what that really means is, you know, if you're using Facebook and uh, Facebook, you know, suggests friends to you, there's actually like some pretty complex calculus that goes on behind the scenes with that. And so your phone is basically just communicating through an API to Facebook's servers. Okay. Um, but it really kind of is, is even bigger than that. Because if you think about a small project that just wants to offer 
something very simple and they need some type of data. To generate that kind of data, you know, you, you basically have to build a computer that runs a ton of math to figure out, you know, what the values really should be. And so APIs have made it possible for rapid growth in uh, information technology because it removes the need to start from the ground up every single time. So now you've got, you know, all these different applications that everybody's aware of that they don't have to build an infrastructure from the ground up. They can rely on already well-established infrastructures and simply communicate to those via APIs. So APIs literally are like what holds everything in the internet together. They're an extremely central part of everything uh, that we understand and know and love about the internet. They just work behind the scenes and it's more kind of verbiage for, uh, you know, the IT world or the development world. But it's, it. I mean, the, the name API is short for application programming interface, right? So um, there's that in and of itself kind of indicates exactly why uh, it's it's just so inherently valuable. APIs from your from your description, stitch the the networking world together. It's what connects algorithms, data, and everything that we take for granted. That is the back end of our Web two infrastructure. Where are these APIs hosted today? Like how how do people run them? APIs are hosted all over the place, as far as I'm aware. I mean, um, it just depends. So, like you know. In the Facebook example, the APIs would be hosted by Facebook's servers, right? Or Google, for example, has an extremely lucrative ad business, and that ad business is based off of a ton of different calculations and, and uh, business intelligence that's run through APIs that are directly consolidated in their servers. Um, so I think I get the nature of the question. Basically, APIs are hosted by um, the people who are selling the data. Yes. And this is a lean into why is it important to decentralize that aspect of the technology stack? Yeah, that's a really big question. It's a good question, but I'll try and, and keep it concise. I mean, you know, the bottom line with blockchain technology in general is that everything becomes transparent and owned by everyone who's using it, right? So there's a lot of different examples out there of times when these huge corporate conglomerates um, essentially are gatekeepers to data. And that that becomes extremely dangerous, right? Especially when you look at things like Facebook and like, you know, the Wall Street Journal just did this entire report about the, the fact that they knew uh, that the way in which their algorithms were showing news to people was actually damaging their health in different segment groups, right? And like um, their mental health was actually being damaged because of the fact that it was making money, right? So it's an attention economy. And um, when you think about how your data is the commodity that is the most lucrative in the world, it, it kind of is... Um, it's silly to think that that shouldn't be protected at all costs. Uh, but more importantly, I think that in general, you know, in this world that we live in today, be the, the power that you can get through just having something that everybody uses um, can get to a point where there's a principal agent problem that is beyond the scope of anything in human history. 
So nobody wants a single company or entity or government um, to have so much behind the scenes control that they essentially can like manipulate the masses to bend at their whim. And so that's really why having decentralized infrastructures in general is really important um, because it kind of, it, it puts the the power back in the hands of all of the users, but also allows us to benefit from all the good things that come from massive data collection and, and so on and so forth. The the world we live in today where these algorithms, data sources are all contained by private companies is scary. And I think we could see this centralized world where data continues to be warehoused at these massive companies. If we don't take that in our own hands, we're not going to have the transparent kind of open version of a Web3 world that we want to. And Oracle's APIs play right into that. They lean into how we can make data more transparent. So for our users, how does API 3 work? How does the Oracle system work? How is users' data protected? And how do you guys help with that type of transparency? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, when you look at you know, a typical server, for example, a server is just a room full of big computers that do calculations and, and move data around, right? And um, traditionally, they're, they're housed in a central location owned by a central entity. A blockchain is essentially like a server that exists in the cloud, and it's fully decentralized in the sense that it's immutable. Nobody, no one single person can like manipulate it. So that's kind of important to understand to then take it to the next level, which is smart contracts. And smart contracts are essentially just uh, pieces of code that execute based off of coded conditions, right? So let's say that you wanna buy a PlayStation 5 from me, uh, with a smart contract, I actually can sell you that PlayStation 5 without needing anyone to verify um, that I'm actually selling you a PlayStation 5 and not just taking your money because the smart contract essentially can have like an RFID chip and basically just release payment to me through an escrow once the, the product has been delivered and a couple of conditions are met, right? Oversimplification, but that kind of is like, it's really powerful then when you start looking at in general, removing the need to basically pay for a third party to have oversight. You know, a third party having oversight is has traditionally been in order to protect the consumer, but it also gives an, an enormous amount of power to that oversight um, entity, right? So this is where oracles come in because you know, a blockchain is essentially a server that's in a decentralized, uh, you know, space. It's a closed system. So like we were saying, APIs are needed to really communicate with any application um, in general. If I want to use or leverage the value of an API in the traditional space right now, I can't without creating essentially a gateway to manipulating all of the data that's in the closed system of a blockchain. So the entire value add of decentralized um, peer-to-peer networks is completely trashed when you, you open a gateway to a single party that basically can just manipulate data. So if you think about financial data or trading data, you know, if, if the only data is coming from one single entity, it stands to reason that you and everybody else could really uh, have a bad time, right? 
So oracles are basically just ways of pulling real world data that exists outside of blockchains, throwing them into kind of a mixture of decentralization and then parsing them onto a blockchain in a way where it can be verified that it has not been manipulated. It's basically um, an even easier way to understand it would be like it's basically a compatible version of an API for blockchains. Are the the APIs, the oracles you guys are running, do they talk to outside data that is not on chain? For example, are they listening to maybe weather patterns or price information and then relaying that back on chain? Or are they also syncing to the blockchain itself and relaying data from the blockchain to an end application? So I'm not a developer, but I would say that um, basically they're they're doing a little bit of both depending on the use case, right? So like it, there's a lot of um, there are a lot of needs right now in the blockchain space just to understand pricing data on other blockchains, okay? And then you've got external data like weather data or whatever, where you could actually build parametric insurance that's totally automated and actually ensures 100% fairness and transparency. And that would be completely off-chain data. How you actually pull in the data and then give it to a customer really kind of depends on the need. So it's a multifaceted question. Um, But essentially in the Oracle space, you know, I think the the bigger thing that we're revolutionizing is the idea of um, a first-party Oracle versus like a a anonymous network of third-party Oracle node operators which is what most of the other, if not all of the other um, projects out there kind of rely on. Can we dive into that? What is a first party node network? What does that mean? Yeah. So, I mean, basically, you know, in the current way that things work to get data off chain uh, and move it on chain, most other projects out there are, are relying on essentially developers who understand the technology of oracles. They know how to run their own oracles and then they communicate with a group of other oracles with the same data. So no matter what the data even is, they basically just pull this data from the real world. They all match it up together and say, yep, that's the right answer. And as long as the majority wins, that is the single source of truth. The thing that it doesn't really answer, though, is um, collusion. Um, you know, if you've got, let's say, nine Oracle node operators who are all pulling the price of Bitcoin, Five of those Oracle node operators, the majority, could actually have uh, much more of a vested interest in gaming the system, giving the wrong price, and then essentially liquidating a bunch of customers out of a ton of money. And what's even more kind of crazy about that is that the minority group that actually had the right price would would be penalized for not giving uh, you know the correct price on chain. So it it doesn't address the fact that there really is no accountability there in the network of Oracle node operators, right? And these guys, they're just basically developers, okay? What we're doing is we are essentially creating, um, we have created a stateless protocol that kind of sits in the API infrastructure of a API provider that exists off-chain and has a business, it stands to reason that if the data that they're serving to blockchains through a first party Oracle is the same as what they already have an established business, uh, you know, offering to the real world, they're not going to cannibalize their own business 
to try and steal money from users on blockchains because they have a reputation to uphold and, um, you know, usually years um, worth of, of established business. And so what that does is it basically does a couple of things. It makes it possible to access data that's not necessarily needed uh, to be f- very highly aggregated and decentralized. So like, you know, if you're billions of dollars aren't really on the line and you're just trying to grab weather data to like have weather change on an NFT, you shouldn't really need to like go through the kind of exorbitant cost of, of an aggregated listing of data. What it also does, though, is it it removes the middleman altogether. So, you know, you have to have off-chain companies that actually create and generate this data. You have to have their buy-in to want to even participate. The bigger problem is really that if you force them to deal with your token, like your cryptocurrency, or you force them to pay gas fees, or you force them to essentially give their data, which is their bread and butter, to some anonymous party of, of developers, and they have no way to to see if there's accountability or to verify that their data is being used appropriately, there's a, a ton of stacked up uh, barriers to entry there. And that's, I think, the bigger problem in the industry is that, you know, we kind of exist in this closed ecosystem where we don't, you know, there hasn't been a lot of acknowledgement that outside adoption of blockchain is how this grows in general. What we're doing is we're essentially creating the infrastructure around making it attractive for data providers to get involved in the space because for them to run uh, what we have coined AirNode, which is essentially, uh, again, an Oracle node that exists in their API infrastructure, they it's completely uh, serverless and they don't even have to manage it, right, or update it. So like, because of that, there, it doesn't make sense for them not to do it because now they're basically opening up a entirely new market of customers that they know is like a, a hot new market, right? Um, so by removing all those barriers to entry, we essentially have created um, a lot more excitement around the industry and kind of a platform for people who are just data providers to actually get involved and, and see their business model grow. API 3 delivers a new business model for these data providers, um, something that they didn't have before. And I can understand the challenges they face when interfacing with the crypto native ecosystem who is used to paying in tokens. But these individuals, they have their own data. They want to make sure it's secure. It's authentically transported on chain. And they probably want to get paid in stable coins, I'm guessing, um, or, or some form or fiat. of that or fiat. Absolutely. Like their current business model, I see so many applications in DeFi, especially the world of credit, where this data is is private, it's secure today. And for individual node providers that might be writing some of this data on chain, they're not only going to want to privatize that data, but they want to make sure that it's intact, that they are the ones writing it on chain. And when you think about more of the higher value data sources, they come from very few companies. So while price data may come from many different crypto exchanges and a broad set of oracles could write that on chain, the more unique data points that developers may want, like for building credit-like systems, those are going to come from a, a select number of data providers. There's not many out there. In the US, we have three. 
we have TransUnion, Equifax, and um, Experian, and that's it. Right. It, well, and it also stands to reason that, like, you know, unlike an anonymous group of guys out of their dorm room who are running an Oracle node, you know, those three uh, institutions probably don't have a lot to gain by trying to scam people out of money. Um, and they're cemented in their business model, right? I mean, we might not to sing the praises of the three credit unions, but at the end of the day, if you're trying to build a project that pulls, uh, you know, credit decisioning or something, or you're doing like actuary, you know, whatever, the bottom line is, is that, you know, the these entities already have a big reputation around that. You brought up mainstream adoption and how we can take this space from something that is used by enthusiasts and developers to something that is owned and respected by all, both institutions and end users from the mainstream perspective. Do you think that happens in a way where users of Web2, of the internet today, join the Web3 space because they're excited about the products that we have? Or do you think mainstream adoption happens by our inherent technology being embedded into the Web2 applications that are already mainstream today? I think it'll be a little bit of both, to be honest. I mean, we actually started a blog series that's called Redefining Trust. And so if I can just kind of dumb this down really basic, the bottom line is, is that blockchain uh, you know, platforms and, and the technology, the real value add is that it removes middlemen, right? And so any type of use case where you would normally have to go through an arduous amount of cost and logistics to ensure that, you know, value is transferred from point A to point B um, in, in a way where, you know, both parties consider it fair, the options are really endless, right? So I think the future of, of blockchain technology will be kind of a mixture of like what we already are familiar with in the real world, but it will be way more streamlined. It will make things way cheaper. Um, you know, there will be a lot less uh, rigmarole when you're when you're just trying to you know pay a bill or whatever the case may be. Um, and I think that in general, you know, the the entire idea of a renaissance where all of the consumers actually are the ones who are you know kind of calling the shots on where technology goes is extremely exciting. We agree. I think there is a world where we can own the infrastructure that we use for the first time ever. We always like to ask a final question on the podcast, and that is, if you had a crystal ball in front of you right now, what could you most confidently predict will happen in the intersection of APIs, oracles, and DeFi by the end of 2022? Man, with confidence, I don't know, because the, the space is just constantly growing. There's always new innovations. Um, you know, I think in general, it, it would be surprising if we don't see a lot of, you know, rapidly growing users in all of DeFi, because there are so many people in the world who are just unbanked. And, you know, as soon as somebody realizes that all they need is an internet connection, which a lot of people have, and, you know, a dedicated wallet, um, which you can, you know, there's a ton of them out there that you can get the app for. When people start to realize how accessible this actually is, um, 
you know, we're going to see tons of additional adoption. We're already seeing it. Um, you know, you look at crypto gaming and stuff like that. There are people who are pulling themselves out of third world poverty or, you know, developing world poverty, I think is the appropriate term. But the idea that just having access to financial instruments for the first time in specific areas around the world can completely raise, uh, you know, the entire economic status of a, a human being is extremely exciting. And, and, you know, because we've already seen that trickle through in a variety of uh, cases, I would say with confidence that by the end of 2022, we'll see a rapid growth of that. We're looking for the same thing on our end. Mason, thank you so much for joining today. Where can our listeners find out more about you or more information about API3? Yeah, so uh, API3, just go to api3.org. Definitely check out our forums. I mean, because we're a DAO, we're community-based, right? So we are owned by the the people who use the system. Um, And so when you get involved, like you actually can gain ownership over what we're doing. Your voice actually matters. Um, Definitely feel free to reach out to me. You can find me on LinkedIn uh, just by searching me. It's Mason Burkhalter. Um, you can also find me by shooting me an email, mason at api3.org. Um, and my Twitter handle is at like the jar. Wherever you're listening to this, join the API3 DAO. Your voice matters. Be sure to check out the show notes for all the links that Mason mentioned in our conversation. And please follow us on Twitter. We are at Use Teller or join our newsletter to find out about our upcoming episodes.